So uh, thank you everybody for another live, joining us for a live surf and sales bonfire session. Um, it's been something Scott and I've been working on for the last almost a year and we just sort of came out of the blue. So, so thank you for being here and, and we appreciate it. Uh, we also wanna give a quick shout out to our sponsors of um, Gong.io, Vidyard, Lead411, of course, Salesforce, Sales Cloud um, for supporting us so that we can bring these kind of events to you uh, and, and really appreciate all their support. You know, I wanna introduce our panelists super quick and then we'll sort of get into, into the conversation. Um, we have Nikki Ivey, um, who is co-founder of the SDR Defenders and Sales for the Culture. If you don't know uh, who Sales for the Culture is, uh, they're a, a communal movement for black tech sellers. Um, and, and they we meet, I wanna say we. This is the first. Usually Richard talks while he's, he doesn't usually um, mute himself while he's talking. But if you <laughs> listen to the podcast, you, you'll not be surprised about what he's just done. Oh, I'm just giving, I that's, the first. that's impressive. I don't know if <laughs> speaks to the camera and mutes themselves. At the <laughs> so that, that happens. So Scott, I'll, 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 I'll I'll call myself out on that. I'm new to co-hosting and I was going through admitting people and then <laughs> muted Richard. So I will take the blame for this. Oh, you're off of her. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll handle letting people in. <laughs> Thank you. So um, anyway, shout out to our sponsors of Salesforce, Sales Cloud, Gong, Vidyard, and Lead 411. I don't know where I got left off. Uh, Nikki Ivey is here from Sales for the Culture, a communal movement for black tech sellers. Um, and for black, uh, for, for uh, African-American tech sellers as well. Uh, also co-founder of the SDR Defenders. So Nikki, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. We also have uh, Tim Clark, founder of Uncrushed, um, which I'm also a, a board member of where we focus specifically on helping people not get crushed by their quota in sales. And then uh, another really great friend of ours is Jeff Risley, who's the founder of Sales Health Alliance, um, who actually works with organizations to help them facilitate mental health conversations. And just based on some conversations I've had with Jeff over the last few months, um, just brilliant work that he's doing there. So we, we really appreciate that. Uh, with, with that, you know, I, I think our goal is to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, is this okay to talk about in the workspace? right? What's it like? Is it hard? How hard is it? We know that it's not easy. We've done some research. We'll be releasing a report on the state of mental health and sales uh, by the end of this month. We've got some data we're going to share today. And um, I think the first thing, you know, I, I sort of want to start there with, with everyone is like, how do you talk about this in the workplace, right? You know, so, so you know, Jeff or, or Nikki or, or Tim and even Scott, you know, just jump in. We, we're not too formal around here. Yeah, I, I can hop in. I think it's before we kind of dive into how I think there's just this like, there's this realization and this, this need that we need to start creating more spaces to where we can be open, be vulnerable and start talking about mental health within sales and sort of some of the survey data that, that we've kind of gone through. And again, we're going to be sharing it at the, at the end of the month here, but it's really highlighting that this challenge and this struggle within sales is is really increasing. Uh, when I did a survey prior to COVID back in December of 2019, I found that more than two in five salespeople struggle with their mental health, so about 43%. And now sort of the latest survey data is showing that that number's now jumped to 58%. So we're getting close to 
three in five salespeople struggling with their mental health, which is a huge, huge number that's really growing. And for an industry that's focused on quote unquote, high performance and sales performance, it's really important. It's really impossible to achieve high performance if close to 60% of your team is underperforming, which is why we really need to start prioritizing this conversation within our teams. Tim, what about you? I know, I know you, you, this is a very passionate project for you. Like what, what's it like, um, you know, for you who, who has their own experiences, but then, you know, working at an organization where I, I think it's actually pretty good for you guys to, to you guys have tried to create space there. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, first of all, thanks for having this conversation. It's so awesome to see so many people. Uh, we had a great session with Scott's Tequila Tuesday. I can't remember when that was. I have a little bit of a vulnerability blackout, vulnerability hangover from that event. Uh, but one of my key takeaways was uh, being vulnerable with boundaries. Um, you know, it doesn't mean just because I'm open about some of my struggles in life that I have to go and say this to everyone, you know, my full story with everything. Um, so I, I think there's certain pieces of information to share. Uh, I think there are certain situations to share those in. Um, and, you know, my my biggest motivator is how do we just start to build up a little bit more vulnerability in the workplace. So I try and, you know, just a simple thing like asking someone how they're doing, but not just at a surface level, like truly asking how they're doing uh, in, in every conversation that I have at, at work. It just brings me closer to people. And, I, and we're in a time right now where connection is needed more than ever. Yeah, I completely agree. So Nikki, in the places you've worked, where, what's, it, what's it like for you? I think one of the, the hard lessons that I had to learn was not so much when to talk about it, but with whom. So, you know, sometimes when you join an organization, it's not, you know, put in front of you as, you know, intentionally or as visibly what your, you know, recourse is or what the, the resources might be at the organization. And so it ended up where I was, you know, disclosing things to my sales manager that probably would have been more appropriately disclosed to HR. I mean, that would have led to more confidentiality for me. Um, and again, just a more structured process. And it would have taken a lot of the fear out of this situation uh, for me. So that's one of the things that I think, um, you know, individual contributors or employees and leadership alike um, can really do to, to help with the situation. And that is, you know, surface what the resources are. You know, I mean, if you join an organization and somewhere in the back in the kitchen, there's some poster about the employee assistance plan, right? You know, then it's a toss up whether or not you see that. And that's an entirely different thing from if there were intentional conversations had about those resources during the onboarding process. Yeah, that, that, that's really powerful and, and I appreciate it. It's hard to pick the right person to talk to, right? And, and navigate, what, what could this do for my career? You know, um, Scott, you know, I, I've worked for you and, and worked with you on things. You've always been one of those leaders who listen to your team. Like, you know, as this, you know, from a leadership perspective for those who are leaders, how do you lead supporting mental health knowing that, you know, it's, it's 
it can overwhelm people from doing their job, but you know, you as a leader have to still support their whole being. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think you lead by example, first of all. So you don't try to um, pretend like you're bulletproof or superhuman. Um, you know, I talk about the things that I've been through in my life, in my experiences. I, I often talk about some of the things that um, I'm going through currently, um, particularly in my case, you know, health related, um, past addiction stories and, and things like that. So I think I try to normalize it by proactively talking about it, communicating about it. And that hopefully creates a safer environment for my team where they would feel like, okay, if my boss is talking about this, if our VP of sales is talking about this, you know, maybe it's okay here. Um, and that's kind of where it all starts. Um, and then, you know, the, the thing that I tack on, and we were talking about this a little bit off camera, um, you've got to have this like long-term vision and more than this short-term instant gratification focus on results. Um, you know, some leaders might think and some reps might think, I don't have time or space to have this conversation right now because I got to build pipeline. I got to make these deals. I got to close these deals right now. I got to do this right now. I got to focus on revenue, right? Um, really short-sighted because healthier people and better people sell better. So if we can have this conversation to start you on the path towards um, healing and having a healthier relationship with yourself and, and those around you, you're going to end up performing better. So sometimes you have to sacrifice like this moment or this next hour to do some work that's difficult that will pay off big time down the road. And, and I don't think, you know, I don't think that's common enough. Um, and so that's part of- Think of something where you've done that, like just sort of as a tangible. Say that one more time. Can you, can you think of something where you've had to do that? Like I've got to step back so I can focus on this first. For me, for me personally? Yeah. Personally? yeah. Um, I'm doing it right now to be perfectly candid with everybody. Um, I've been struggling for the last month or so, actually ever since I got my second vaccine shot for whatever reason, my health has been, has gone like haywire. Um, <clears throat> and I've been working really hard for the last year and a half, building my business from the, the ground up. Um, I'm doing really well, but my calendar has been out of control and um, I'm purposely scaling it back. And I was saying before, like I've been waking up every single day starting to say, I really don't feel like working right now, to be honest with you. That's a sentence that I've never said out loud in 20 years, probably until now. Um, so I'm trying to slow myself down, accept and get comfortable with some of the things that I'm, that I'm going through and, and get okay with it, you know, because I'm somebody who has a hard time separating their productivity from their self-worth so that's not that's not easy for me um to take a step back and to slow down and be like yo it's, it's okay if your productivity goes down 50 percent like i'll be okay if that happened in my case like i'd be fine you know but my my, my brain tricks me and makes me think that i'm worthless or no good i can't i can't do that that's not okay so i'm going through it right now because i feel like if I allow myself to slow down and work on some things, get get healthier, give myself space 
space to breathe. I'll, 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 I'll heal enough to be better off, you know, maybe towards the second half of this year and can outperform rather than kind of continue to just push through and, and wait for the eventual like collapse, which I'd mm-hmm. want to avoid. I, wanna, I, I, if oh, it's okay, I want to add something about leading by example that I actually learned from you, Scott. So it was my first B2B tech sales job. And, you know, I wasn't at a place where I even knew what my specific mental health issues were, but I was in this habit, just like you talked about, of tying my self-worth up into a number. And I would just really be mean to myself if I, you know, fell short of, of a goal and, and Scott, you know, either through telepathy or just a previous experience with this sort of thing, uh, he identified that that was what I was doing. And he just looked at me and said, you know, we don't do that here. We don't live in our failures. We don't punish ourselves. Right. And he, look, I came from you know, a, a car sales environment where nobody really cared about my mental health. And so this habit of being mean to myself and this habit of, you know, pushing through and ignoring negative feelings was something that I had learned, but I didn't understand that it could be unlearned. And so leading by example is not always, you know, disclosing what you're up against but being open enough to hear people and, you know, maybe help them with some specific aspect of what they're going through. And again, whether or not you disclose anything, that sort of thing goes a long way. I mean, that's to remember it, right? So that sort of thing goes a long way. Well, I would just like to, to add and build on, on both those amazing points. Um, something where I've kind of experienced a lot of success in terms of opening up this conversation is really speaking to organizations and speaking to salespeople and, and changing this perspective around mental health and kind of really considering ourselves as, as corporate athletes that need to show up and perform in front of customers and compete to win every single day. And the reason why that is such a really helpful kind of perspective shift to take place is it really forces an individual and an organization to start thinking more long-term because the human body and the human brain, it's not physically built to hunt, hunt, hunt nonstop, add quota, higher quota, higher quota. Like the body just doesn't react, like respond well to that. And the biggest thing that sales teams are missing right now are recovery metrics, helping salespeople identify when mental health is declining, when their stress levels get too high, when they move from operating in good stress to something called distress, where burnout, where all of these fatigue is setting in, all when you're operating in distress, there's no way that you're going to be selling at a high level and selling effectively. So how do we start building more recovery metrics into our teams so that we can adopt this mindset that it's okay to slow down in order to speed up and we can stop trying to sprint this marathon? Because if you try to sprint a marathon, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get injured, and you're going to underperform. So that's something that's really helped is kind of adopting that idea of this corporate athlete mindset and building in recoveries. If strain goes up, recovery needs to go up. So you can kind of manage that balance and use stress to your advantage rather than your disadvantage. Yeah, and I think it's like, how do you, 
how do you spot as a manager? How do you spot some of those warning signs as an employee? How do you speak up about some of the things you're feeling with if you feel comfortable? And then, you know, I've been very open with my journey. Like I pushed myself so hard over the year. I've been at Salesforce for nine years. I pushed myself so, so hard and I fell down and I burnt out and I needed to take time off multiple times. And so I just want to say for anyone on this call that has fallen down, you know, I would highly recommend that one of my, my favorite quotes is um, from Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. And it, it really just talks about getting up, getting up, getting up. And so if anyone has struggled and fallen down, like, I, I think what we can try and do here is hopefully provide some recommendations and some skills and some tips that you don't have to reach that point. You don't have to push yourself to, to that extent. That's really good. I'd, I'd love to sort of step back for a second and, and really one of the things we talked about in planning this is we wanted to you know, remind people a little bit about trying to remove the stigma, right? Um, either internally yourself or internally in your organization, but also defining the difference between mindset, mental health, mental illness, and self-care, right? Like those are, those are four really key pillars. Um, I'm actually going to put a link to a document that people can, can use to take notes on if they want it. But I'd, I'd love for any one of you to, to jump in on this. And then I know we're already starting to get some great questions from in the audience. So let, let's sort of start with these couple of four thoughts and then we'll sort of go into the, to the questions. Yeah, I, I can, I can kind of kick it off, I guess. So the way I define mindset, so mindset is essentially a collection of beliefs, attitudes, and opinions that you lead with towards your environment. And as a result, that mindset is going to shape your perspective, which is a collection of beliefs, attitudes, and opinions about that environment. So a really good example of this is, let's say you have a mindset, you're walking down a busy street, and you have a mindset that you absolutely love tiny little dogs. What that means is your mindset and your attitude is going to be guiding your senses to pull out and look for dogs on this really busy street so that you can perceive them. If you're really afraid to, afraid of dogs and you think they're terrifying because you got bit when you're really, really young, your mindset is going to be driving your senses to look out for dogs because you're afraid of dogs. And it's going to create this perception that you're afraid and you're in a dangerous situation. So there you have two different mindsets to creating two totally different perspectives, one positive, one negative about the environment that you're perceiving around you. Third mindset, if you don't care about dogs whatsoever, you won't even, your, your belief will be that they're not important and not something you want to look out for in your environment. So you won't even necessarily perceive the dog on the busy street because you're going to be looking at different things. And what squeezes into that very tiny sliver of your perspective, that belief, attitude, and opinion about your environment, what you're perceiving is going to have a direct impact on your over mental health. If you feel scared, if you feel like a failure, if you feel like you're struggling, that's going to have an impact on your overall mental health, which will move you up and down the mental health spectrum. So I'll, I'll pause there to, if, if anyone kind of wants to chime in as well. <clears throat> yeah, I, I just think there's so much stigma associated with the words that we use. Like, I'm very open, like I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict in recovery. What are the things that come to mind when you hear alcoholic addict? I was brought up with a certain mentality of like, it's it's someone that's that's homeless, that doesn't have a job. Uh, and we're actually at Salesforce, we have this new employee resource group called Soberforce, uh, bringing sober, sober curious allies uh, together to, to speak about this. And we're, we're actually holding this event tomorrow, it's internal, uh, 
but it's called the many faces of addiction. I think people struggle with something, whether it's social media, whether it's anger, um, you know, there, there are just so many different things across that whole spectrum. And, you know, I think the interesting thing when we talk about mental health, and I think you put this, Richard, or, or someone commented on one of your LinkedIn posts, the first thought that comes to me from mental health is mental illness and that someone's, someone's got a problem. Mm -hmm. um, same with like, when I say I'm an addict, like there's a difference between someone in active addiction and someone in, in recovery. Um, so there's, uh, there's definitely, and even within addiction, like I said, like it's one thing to say you struggle with alcohol and drugs. Another thing to say, like crystal meth, crack cocaine, another thing to say sex and love, uh, food, you know, there's just so many different levels to this. Well, I think that's a good, I think that's a really good point that you like a lot of people don't understand like mental health is like academically speaking, a spectrum of well being that we all fluctuate along on a daily basis, Gym, similar to there's a physical spectrum of physical health that we fluctuate along. Some people will be healthy and some people will be struggling on an ongoing basis. And you're totally right. Like there's a lot of stigma because people kind of re relate to mental health as only someone that's struggling with mental illness and they want to disassociate from that. When in fact, literally every single person on this call, every single person in the world is operating on that spectrum and it can fluctuate and change in, resp in, in, in response to your internal environment and your external environment. So this isn't something that you either have or you don't have. Everyone's operating on this spectrum and it's just a matter of figuring out where you are and kind of changing your behavior and taking strategies to help you move further into that situation where you're flourishing with your mental health. So it's a great point, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna move us here to, to uh, questions from the, the group. I've got a huge list. So if you've got questions, um, drop them in the chat. If you're if you wanted to remain anonymous or private, DM me or Richard, and we're happy to ask it on your behalf. But the, the first person I'm gonna go to is Kelly Plast. Kelly, you should be off mute. Hey, Scott, thank you very much. Um, yeah, this question is for you, Jeff. Um, I really loved your concept of recovery metrics. And I wanted to really, you know, pick your brain and learn more about, you know, is there a skills matrix for how you develop those metrics? And, you know, how do you do it at scale? I would love to learn how you have developed that for, for your team. Yeah, so like a really good basic framework you can use is just like a HALT, it's called a HALT framework. So HALT will stand for, are you hungry? Are you angry or experiencing another really challenging emotion? Are you lonely and are you tired? So I literally HALT 10 to 15 times a day. I've just built this habit of HALT, 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 because I know if I'm running low or one of those buckets are running on empty, that I'm gonna fluctuate up and down that mental health spectrum way quicker. And it's gonna be harder for me to kind of maintain my mental health. If I experience a stressor, an unexpected stressor, someone cuts me off on the sidewalk or something happens, if I'm feeling hangry or I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling, you know, like I'm feeling really tired, I'm gonna be more responsive to that situation. So that's a really kind of, kind of good, good basic one to help you kind of make sure that you're filling those basic needs. I've taken it sort of to the next level. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a WHOOP but it's essentially like a, a Fitbit on steroids. It's an incredible, incredible tool um, that all sort of high performance athletes are using on an ongoing basis. It's measuring metrics like um, how much sleep you're getting, um, based on how much sleep you're getting, how much strain your body is under the day before mentally and physically it will provide you with a recovery score each morning. So I review this re recovery score every single day to know, well, how prepared is my body to show up today? And based off of what, what I have planned today, 
what can I move around? That networking call that's coming right after a big presentation. If I, my body's not recovered, let's move that. Let's change that so that I can make sure that I'm showing my best and building in an extra self-care period so that I can boost my recovery and show up my best the next day. So Whoop has been huge for me. Um, it was recommended by Tom, uh, a friend of mine, Tom Short, and that's really helped get things like really, really technical. So in the future, I would love it to see if sales teams were kind of like tracking these well-being metrics, maybe not sharing with organizations, but keeping keeping this kind of data themselves and, and using it on an ongoing basis to make sure that they're managing stress at a healthy level. Great question, Kelly, thanks. Sarah. Hey, Scott. Hi there. Well, uh, my, my question to you uh, was, when did you realize you were experiencing burnout and what are some common signs that you'd look for to make sure that um, you won't, or what are things that you look for to understand if you're experiencing it just so that you don't kind of go through that process again? If it's okay with you, I'd prefer to punt this question to Richard and or Tim, who sure. have both like fully said that they've experienced a burnout kind of situation before. I don't know that I've ever, this is as close as I've ever come. So Richard or Tim, you, do you want to chime in? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, this, this, for me, part of it was um, the imposter syndrome kicking in. So that was an indication that like, I felt like I couldn't get things done or I wasn't worthy. And, you know, there's no, it's always a chicken and egg situation, right? There's never one thing. There's never one particular order. Um, I recently read um, the score takes care of itself um, with the former head coach of uh, the 49ers. And he talked about professional coaches burning out and then what he could see in his team. Um, by the way, it's a great sales book. It's a great leadership book, like one of the best leadership books I've ever read. But he talked about a lot of people, and I think this happens in sales, is they only give themselves a negative one point when something bad happens. But when something good happens, they won't give themselves a positive point ever, right? They sort of blow it off. And so over time, you all you do is accumulate negativity and negative points. And then at some point, you just, you hit the bottom where you just like, you have nowhere else to go. Um, so I felt like that was one piece. Um, when I first went through my own recognition of my depression, I realized that I was, I had thrown myself so far into work that I was 12 hours a day at work constantly. Um, and I even had in my head, you know, I went by Ricky at the time, but I even had in my head that there was work Ricky and personal Ricky, and there was really no personal Ricky. There was nothing there. Um, it was all work and my self-worth, my social life, everything I did was around work. Every one of my friends was from work. And so I didn't, I didn't set myself up the right way. And, and to some extent, I didn't know how to sell my, set myself up the right way. So I'll stop. Richard, can you, Richard, can you drop the name of the book again? Yeah. Yeah, the score takes care of itself. So, Siraj, my my answer is pretty simple, right? How do you know you're being burnt out? For me, it was when I stopped being productive. Not necessarily when I stopped, like, you know, hitting quota, but when I didn't, I couldn't access the sense of accomplishment at the end of the day, whether I had completed the task that I set out to or not. I, I stopped feeling a sense of purpose. I stopped feeling a sense of fulfillment 
in the work that I was doing and it did not uh, sort of light a fire, didn't ignite me to get up out of bed, right? And so, so many days of calling in for a, a mental health day in a row, right? Um, is really what kind of clued me in, but certainly the precursor to that, as I said, was, you know, not being excited anymore um, to get into the work that I was doing and realizing, you know, how that was affecting uh, my outcomes, my sense of accomplishment. And that's a huge point. Like I think losing touch with like purpose and things that you really enjoy doing with, if you feel less connected and less engaged and want to do them, that's like a huge sign. Uh, I think sort of the one piece I'll add is it's really important to keep track if kind of, if you think about kind of mental health overall, the one thing you want to keep track of is like intensity, duration, and frequency. So if you are, let's use kind of being disengaged from like something you enjoy doing. If you're disengaged from it for a day, not a big deal, you're probably doing okay. But when you become disengaged every single day and it, you feel disengaged all of the time, that's a sign that you're starting to burn out. If you're feeling fatigued one day, no problem. One or two days, no problem. But when you're fatigued and showing up to work, that sluggish, that brain fog feeling, multiple weeks, multiple months, that's a sign that you're struggling and that we haven't been kind of looking at those recovery metrics and not and, and, and actioning them on an ongoing basis. So remember that intensity, frequency, and duration, that's kind of like a good thing that you want to kind of keep an eye on. Let's uh... I just have one more thing really quickly. Another um, clue that I was burnt out is when the things that used to pull me out of the hole stopped working, right? And so what I discovered was there's only so many things that Britney Spears can fix. Uh, typically when I get to feeling down or I just need to, you know, put pep in my step, I listen to Britney Spears. And like, sometimes it was the point where I would get up, go to the ladies room, put my headphones on and listen to Britney Spears, like before a particular call or something. But when it got to the point where that didn't make me feel better, that didn't make me feel more capable, more motivated, that was another clue that, you know, I, this was something I need to pay closer attention to. All right, Kason, you're off mute. You want to ask your question? Yeah, yeah. So this one's for Jeff. Uh, you mentioned earlier the difference between stress, which is can be healthy to a degree, and then distress. And it's just how do you discern between the two? Because I'm one of those people that, like, that keeps me on track and helps me drive towards what I'm trying to accomplish. But I know sometimes I'm crossing over into that area where it's not helpful. But I was wondering if you have any, like, good ways to consistently identify that and so you can take a step back. Yeah. So like there's four buckets that you really kind of want to keep an eye on. So the first bucket is intrusive thoughts. So intrusive thoughts will typically start with like, what if statements? What if I'm bad at sales? What if this happens? What if it's kind of like that? What if that can kind of start to spiral? Next is emotions. So halt captures that a little bit. Changes in what you're feeling emotionally. Is it really angry? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling defeated? Start working on your emotional literacy. There's a good resource on Sales Health Alliance to help you do that. Then there's changes to what you're feeling physically. So do you, where is your body holding stress? For me, I get a pain in my upper right side of my stomach. That's really painful. I start sweating in the middle of the night and I get like really dry mouth. So what are the changes in physical symptoms that happen to you specifically? If you pause and do like a daily, daily body scan meditation, take 10 minutes in the middle of the day, that will help you be aware of kind of like changes into what you're feeling physically. Cause normally you get so distracted that we don't necessarily know that these changes are actually happening. 
And then the last one, the really big one is changes to your behaviors and the habits that you're taking. Are you having an extra drink or two after work? Are you playing more video games more than normal? A good one, are you scrolling on social media more than normal? That's like a like having that screen timer checking in. If there's a day when you normally spend an hour on, on, on our screen time and now you're spending an hour and a half, two hours on your screen, that's a good sign to pause. It's changes in your behavior. What's going on here? And going back, okay, so my screen time's gone up. I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. How do I start kind of recovering and, and kind of navigating this carving out more time so that I can rest and recover because I know I'm operating the stress right now. So I hope that kind of helps kind of keeping track of those four buckets. Awesome. We got uh, Nate. Where are you? Nate Hippop. Absolutely. Thanks. <clears throat> um, kind of just a question for the panel. Um, my, my situation is more so not that I'm burnt out because I'm working too hard. It's more so I just feel like there's a lack of purpose in what I'm doing. Um, there's been some shifts in the position that I'm in where it's now more order entry as opposed to sales. Um, and so what I signed up to do isn't what I'm doing. Um, and it just feels like what I'm doing doesn't actually have a purpose for what I want to be doing anymore. So what um, in situations like that, where it's not so much like I'm just working too hard and burning out, what would you guys suggest or say in that kind of a situation? It's interesting. Uh, Jeff Rich and I have been working on this, this survey uh, and we've got some information that will hopefully come out in the next few weeks and I'll, I'll defer to, to, to Jeff to talk about you know, this kind of sense of purpose uh, and alignment. Um, the one thing I want to share from, from my own experience is, and we were talking about this a bit in the chat, is, is this sense of balance. Like, what am, I, what am I doing for fun? What am I doing for Tim time? Like outside of work, because uh, I, I always had this mentality of like work defined me. Work had to be everything. Just work, 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 work. And, and then I went the other way and, and I was like, okay, volunteer. I've got to give back. I've got to do as much philanthropic work as, as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go for a walk 15 minutes each day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the Peloton. I'm going to play on my Xbox. I'm, I'm going to connect. That's another big focus is like connecting with people in person, having face-to-face -face time. Um, I, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out what is Tim time. Uh, and, and I, I think that helps me significantly, but I, I'm going to pass over to Jeff to talk a little bit more about this, this survey that we're going to come out with the results that are going to come out with, uh, surely. Yeah. Like, I think what's really interesting is there's like what showed up in terms of what people, we looked at essentially 13 different needs that were that, that needed to be, that we thought would provide better sales performance and better mental health. And the thing that showed up and both the need that needed to be met in both kind of better sales performance and better mental health, it was in kind of the top three, was you felt like you're making a difference in the world. So it's not surprising that you are struggling with burnout because if you're not emotionally connected to your work, it's very, very hard to muster up that energy and that emotion to persevere when you start facing that resistance. Mm -hmm. So something that's kind of a kind of trick that you might want to try is reconnecting with your deeper purpose like we all inside of all of us we have these two competing different competing kind of motivators we have a self-protection system which is trying to keep us safe trying to keep us locked in our comfort zone and then the other one we have is our mattering instinct this desire to matter in the world and say at the end of the day when we're on our deathbed we showed up and we were here and one of the best ways that you can fill that mattering instinct is by serving adopting that servant leadership servant mindset but to genuinely try to help people on an ongoing basis. And 
if you have a job where it's changed, the type of strategies that you're doing on an ongoing basis is, is changed, one of the best things you can do is it's, it's a, a strategy called job crafting. It was popularized by someone named Amy Wersineski. Um, I think she was at Yale. But what, how you job craft a more meaningful job is you literally like break down every single task that you need to do on an ongoing basis, whether it's sending emails, making calls, um, I, I don't know, having a one-on-one -on -one with someone, whatever that is. And ch normally, if you kind of break that down, who are you serving? And a lot of the time, what, when you're kind of disconnected from your work, mm -hmm. usually you're serving, you're thinking about serving yourself. Oh, this, I don't want this. This is impacting me, 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 me. And if you can kind of change the perspective, change that mindset so that you perceive these, these tasks differently, you can actually make them more meaningful by saying, well, I'm taking orders because this is going to make sure that my buyer and my customers get this on time. And I can, I'm genuinely helping them improve their life on an ongoing basis, trying to connect to something that's bigger than you. Um, Okay, and lots of resources. I just kind of search uh, job crafting on, on Sales Health Alliance. And you can kind of find that resource, but yeah, breaking down each individual task and working to make them more meaningful by changing your mindset towards them so you perceive them a little differently by focusing on who you're serving and who you're helping. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. You were listing that, that list of things that were kind of identifying burnout. And I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me. Shoot, man, all those things are me. So this is... Uh, I've only been in sales for about three years. And so hearing these things is like, okay, this is going to set me up for a kind of a good trajectory to, to keep an eye out for this going forward. So, so thank you so, guys all. Yeah. So, that, but that's the other thing, right? Like if you, if you are feeling those things, if you are feeling burnt out, no matter what kind of strategy you implement to make work more meaningful, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you aren't recovered, I think Nikki mentioned this, um, even if you you're doing these things, they're not going to work unless you kind of prioritize that rest and recovery to get you back to a place where you're operating in the present and you're able to see the bigger picture of things. Yeah. I, want to, I want to shift the conversation a little bit before we, and we'll, we'll definitely take more, uh, more questions from the audience is, you know, culture matters, right? Like this is a big, big piece. Um, whether you're black or African-American, whether you're uh, from an Asian background, um, even in the South is different. You know, from my perspective, uh, you know, we, we whisper about these things when you're from the South, right? Have a therapist. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and I certainly don't mean to put Nikki on the spot, but Nikki, you know, as a woman and as a, as a Black woman, how, how have you navigated therapy? I know you're very open about your experiences and things, but, you know, my outside understanding as a white guy is that, you know, it's not talked about in the culture. Um, so I'd love to just hear some feedback from you. Certainly, right? So culture and background plays a huge role in how open people feel um, comfortable being around these topics. And I definitely um, did not grow up in a family or in a community where anybody was speaking about these things openly, right? I mean, of course, you know, there were people in my family and in my community who were dealing with mental health issues, but they were sort of uh, written off as personality quirks, right? Or, you know, just think that person is just different, which was true, but not, not really helpful. Um, and so for me, I had to hit a sort of a, a rock bottom 
and for me, and I talked with, with uh, Richard, with you and Scott about this on, on uh, my Serpent Sales episode, that rock bottom was just recognizing that I was in danger of perpetuating that cycle, you know, of it, my, my impulse and my instinct, right, toward protecting people I love was to keep the negative things I was dealing with far, far away from them. And then I realized that that is what uh, my mother had been doing and her mother before her and how helpful it might have been if I had just known that I wasn't by myself in this and that there wasn't, you know, something wrong with me. Um, so that's, that's really how I handle it. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm on this call. It's, it's why I'm so passionate about, you know, what, what Tim, you, Richard, and, and Uncrushed is doing you, Jeff, as well. Um, and, and that's because I know that there, there's not only like a lack of talking around these things within uh, the Black community, in my experience, there is a lack of research right, to even know what people are really dealing with, right? Now, there is some research out there that says, you know, that, you know, dealing with racism on a regular basis causes both physical and mental harm to Black folks, but it's not really documented in terms of how that plays out in a, in a workplace, right? Um, and so what ends up happening is things like what, uh, what Tim was talking about with these sort of outside communities, um, not having to depend on just the job you do day to day, but being, I guess, brave enough to share with at least, you know, one or two other people, maybe not in leadership, but other folks to, to help you understand that you're not um, alone. Tim, you want to jump in? I saw you put this in the chat because I know you, you, talked about this in other conversations. Yeah, I'm, 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 I put a lot in chat, so I'm not, <laughs> not sure which bit specifically, but yeah, like, uh, you know, Nikki and I have had a few conversations and it, it's uh, one of the members of our uh, executive committee um, uh, at Uncrushed uh, is an Indian lady. And we've also got Naraj Kapoor on here as well, uh, both of uh, whom have shared their stories on Uncrushed. Uh, Silpa Patel, another lady that that shared her story, and and they've actually been some of the pieces of content that have have gone the furthest because there is so much stigma uh, in those cultures, in those societies. And one of the other things we we talk about, uh, Mental Health America talks about, is uh, that sixty percent of people that are struggling with mental illness uh, don't receive treatment or don't receive the help that they need. And I think uh, there's a lot, what we do have a lot of research around. Uh, in the overall mental health industry is that access to care is certainly not equal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely privileged, you know, particularly with the employer that I work with uh, and, and then just also based on who I am with the access to care that I have. And so thankfully there are a great number of organizations that are doing work on this to, to make access to care a lot more equal, but it's still that first step. You know, I remember even just for me being able to say, back in 2017 uh, to say like, hey, I've got a problem with cocaine. Like just saying those words, that was hard enough for me. I couldn't really imagine what it's like, you know, for other people. And, and so that's really, you know, I guess there's kind of a mini plug for Uncrushed. When we started it, it was never meant to be about me. And I, I will continue to not make it about me. Uh, we're really making it about community, just like what you're doing at Surf and Sales, because there will be people that will be able to relate to me. Um, and then there'll be able to, people that will relate to Nikki or to Manisha or to Silpa or to Naraj 
Uh, and it's, it's just about finding that one person that you can connect with and can relate to. Tim, I want to say something really quick about how open you are about dealing with addiction, because I think that's one of the things that gets kind of swept under the rug when we have a mental health conversation. And I think it's because then it causes us to confront uh, this aspect of sales culture that rewards success with alcohol often, or that centers uh, friendship and community around alcohol. And so I can only imagine right? Being in an environment like that and how, how even more isolating that must feel if you're seeing that and then maybe don't feel like you can say out loud that why you can't drink. I mean, I had a, one of my best friends, he was about six months into his recovery and he shared this with me. So I would be like, all right, if we're going, I'll just drink, you know, Sprite with you and we can do this. Um, but without, you know, taking that first step, like you talked about, uh, those folks are, are, I think, really, really underserved. So thank you for being so open about that. Yeah, thank you. And, and like one thing, and we talked about this on the Tequila Tuesday was like, if you're a manager, maybe do an event like a pottery class or painting class or cooking class, you know, doing something that doesn't involve alcohol. If you're in sales or marketing and you're looking at doing a VIP networking event, maybe don't do it around alcohol. The key thing though, for me is just because I'm sober doesn't mean I'm anti-drinking. You know, I just, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my body, but like there's a great movement right now uh, around mocktails and non-alcoholic beverages. So when we talk about the, the word inclusive, you know, this is like why we created Soberforce at Salesforce. Like let's, let's create different options for people uh, and try and be as inclusive as possible. Yeah, I know we've, we've got a, a couple more questions I want to get to the, to the audience and then we'll, we'll keep going. Um, but uh, Matthew, we'll, we'll have you go and then Melissa and then I think Megan, you have a question too. Um, but Matthew, what, what was your question specifically? You had something for Jeff, if I recall. Yeah, thanks. Richard, can you hear me okay? Yeah, sounds good. Fantastic. So um, I wanted to uh, comment to Jeff specifically. So two things, um, Jeff, you may not always be aware, but a lot of people are out there listening to your content and um, perhaps passively or quietly. Um, and I wanted to uh, give a shout out to you. Um, you. You sort of introduced in one of your LinkedIn posts, the idea of Wim Hof method. Uh, as a way of self-care and, you know, managing your psychological resiliency. Um, I have uh, actually adopted the Wim Hof method. So thank you very, very much for that. Um, and it's also a shout out to this group here. This is such an important conversation. So if you think that people are not listening when you post in LinkedIn, social, other channels, et cetera, they are. Thanks, Matthew. And, um, you know, we lost you there. And, yeah. So Jeff, can you maybe just quickly give an overview of what that method is, just so we can give a little context for folks? Yeah, yeah. So Wim Hof method is just an incredible breathing method. It was like, uh, it's based off of Tumo breathing, which has been around for years upon years upon years. It's been for a very long time. And now it's becoming more mainstream, more popular, popularized by the Iceman, Wim Hof. And it's really this unique breathing method of taking essentially 30 power breaths in the morning, doing it for three rounds is different ways that you hold your breath to it. 
But there's a few a few things that you want to think about when it comes. To, well, first, it helps kind of balance your stress levels overall if you kind of do it on an ongoing basis. It acts as like a really good pattern interrupt if you're kind of like breathing inconsistently. So doing it as a good pattern interrupt to reset. But I think a lot of people kind of what they don't realize is when it comes to motivation within sales, there's kind of like two buckets that you might be like not motivated in. So there's like hyper aroused. So when and this is kind of based off of work done by neuroscientist uh, Daniel Huber or Andrew Huberman, he's awesome. But when you're hyper aroused, you're so anxious, you're so fearful, you can't function and you're kind of have that paralyzed state. But there's also this other bucket when you're hypo aroused where you're so sluggish that you can't get moving. And maybe like coming back from a vacation, it's a good sign. You're so into this kind of rest and digest mode that you're not motivated to start working. So the Wim Hof method is a really good strategy because it actually tricks your body into releasing adrenaline, which will help you get moving. So if you are going to do the Wim Hof method, it's a great, great strategy to do in the morning because it will help. It's a way to kind of use your body's physiology to release adrenaline. He also recommends jumping in a cold shower, which I do all the time. It's amazing. But again, two strategies to boost adrenaline to get you going in the morning and push through that hypo aroused state where you're not feeling motivated. So totally recommend it. It's, it's amazing. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. I know Megan, you also had a question too. Um, so I'll have you come off mute and then I think we'll go back to what sorry, bouncing around. Yeah, thank you so much for, um, for having this conversation. Um, I really have loved the conversations around, um, you know, even just how to identify burnout and also from the leadership perspective, how you can really lead your team, you know, hosting events that are non-alcoholic. Um, but I do a lot of coaching with people from across the world, various organizations. And one of the things that I have the hardest time answering is um, how, like we, we talked so many uh, so much about leaders that really care about mental health because maybe you have had a mental health crisis or a challenge or you hit burnout. But I think a lot of teams, a lot of people are working for managers that don't talk about these things. Maybe they're, they're just not educating themselves as much. And so you're in these really toxic cultures where you don't have the space to talk about mental health. Maybe you don't even have mental health days um, or, I mean, like it's not even normal, right? So I'm curious if you have any tips for people in those situations um, that are maybe experiencing some mental health issues and want to even help leaders <laughs> have more conversations. If you have any tips for people in toxic cultures, how to create the space to have these conversations. I'll let, I'll let Jeff answer, but I will tell you, if you're in a toxic culture, uh, contact Scott and I will help you try and find a new sales job. Like that's the first, <laughs> you know, unless, oh, unless for you're sure. about that particular place, but uh, yeah. And I should have said, sh I should have also said that like one of the hardest things that I have a hard time answering is like when people don't necessarily, like maybe they just got into a new role or they're trying to make it work. Like what are some, some ways that they can protect themselves perhaps while they're looking for a new job? So something I always recommend is like keeping it as objective as possible. If you're not sure about who you can trust within an organization, best thing you do is you want to kind of build that buddy system pretty quickly. And you can do that by taking an article. There's so much great data coming out right now around, again, there's stuff on sales health lines, there's stuff with this ebook, there's stuff with any kind of mental health resources are talking about the importance of this stuff and its connection to better performance. So anyone that's kind of in these toxic environments and isn't sure, start 
sharing some of these articles. Don't say, hey, we should do this. Say, hey, what do you think about this? We just saw this study that showed, you know, every dollar invested in the scaled up treatment for common mental health disorders leads to $4 return on improved health and productivity. Like, do you think we should be talking about mental health more? Is there something we can be doing around mindset and resilience? So start asking those questions. And what I found is if you start from this like objective place of a data and a piece of art, like an article, you can kind of gauge who's like, oh, that's a really good idea. That's really interesting data. Why don't we set up time to talk about this? You can start to kind of build those mini alliances and then you can start operating by committee rather than being the individual that's saying, hey, we should talk about mental health and the manager being like, well, I don't wanna do that, you're out versus three or four people and you have this alliance. Oh, here's all this data, here's all this other stuff. We should talk about that. It helps kind of that safety and numbers approach. Um, in terms of kind of approaching this conversation um, with kind of managers that you speak with, uh, I think kind of the biggest thing is just like letting them, like asking them this one simple question because there's really a vulnerability paradox within sales. And if you ask them this question, it kind of like wakes them up where you say, look, Mr. Manager or Mrs. Manager, like how likely are you going to be vulnerable when, how likely are you to be vulnerable when someone is judging your performance every single day? And the answer is normally, I'm not going to be vulnerable at all. So in those situations, like that's when that kind of like those emotions, those self-doubt, those kind of like self-esteem issues start to take place. So as a manager, it's really in your best interest to be sharing openly and being vulnerable because it's on you. Given that power dynamic between manager and rep, it's on you to create that safe space, to be vulnerable, to lead by example, not to expect your team to open up, but position yourself as an ally and someone that people want to open up to because you're so open and vulnerable. And that's going to really kind of help break down that vulnerability paradox, which is really crippling sales teams and performance right now. Thank you. Super helpful. Richard's on mute as per usual. Bonus points for twice in one day. That's me. That's me. I only get one, one of those, but uh, Melissa, I know you have had a question and then um, I think we're going to sort of try yeah, to- Yeah, we're running out of time, I think. So I'll try to be quick. And it's much better to be on mute too much than not be on mute too much. I'll Thank just you. say you're, you're leaning the right way, Richard. If, not, that, not that you yeah, need validation not. from me, but um, I had a like way earlier in the thread, I, was, I had a question about how do you know who's safe? And I'm currently in a great place, but five or six years ago, I was in a serious crisis that involved removing myself from a domestic violence situation and um, had to do shit at work. It was bad. It was really bad. And it got to a point, you know, I had to sort of come out, if you will, um, because everybody knew something's wrong. And I was really surprised at who was an ally and who straight up didn't believe me, you know, or thought I was malingering or thought I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Or um, it was very, it was very interesting experience. So there's a shit ton of learning that I did. <laughs> um, and one thing just a quick, and then I'll stop talking. When someone says it's okay, I'm a safe person. Fuck you. I don't know that you're a safe person. You don't get to decide if you're safe. I decide if you're safe, period. Because that, that for someone who's had a lot of trauma or whatever, that really feels like a trap, really feels like a trap. So, and build that team when you don't need them, like build that community when you don't need that community and um, people will show you who they are. I'm done, out. <laughs> 
That's good. That's that's solid advice. Anybody, uh, Nikki, uh, you know, in terms of trying to find that safe person, how did you find that person? Was it built over time? Uh, so I've, I've, I've got about three different experiences. I'll try to go very quickly, right? So one I talked about uh, at the top, um, got kind of found me. <laughs> he, uh, he, rooted, he smoked me out. He rooted me out as far as like the things I was trying to keep inside. But that's um, not typical, right? So one experience that I found helpful, there was some current event, right? I think it was uh, Kate Spade had taken her own life. And my manager took that as an opportunity to take uh, the, this, uh, we were MDRs, right? This um, basically SDR team aside and say, hey, right, in light of this, it's caused me to think about, you know, the way that even folks who seem happy, even folks uh, who are productive might be up against something. So I wanted to make sure everybody knows what their resources are, right? So he didn't necessarily offer himself as someone to talk to, um, but he did point us to the resources. Um, another experience I had that was not positive uh, was I had to read, and I posted about this the other day, I had to bring a doctor's note. Um, for really, anytime you took a sick day, you had to bring a doctor's note, whether it was mental illness or not. And I was really reluctant to turn that note in uh, because it was from uh, a doctor where behavioral health was on the doctor's note. And I was like, they're gonna know. And that just turned it into this big, frankly, overwhelming process with HR where they're having to get you know notes from my doctor himself. And I'm being like declared someone who needs an accommodation. I don't know what any of that meant. And so I would say to have things in place um, that are anonymous and that can just be sort of one-off, like a hotline, um, might work better to begin with to sort of, you know, help people slowly, you know, come along as far as who they need to talk to versus just being thrust into this whole HR legal thing. So those are my uh, experiences with that. That's really nice. Thank you so much. Um, and we got a we got a wrap. Like this thing flew by, uh, which tends to happen. Uh, I feel like we could go for another hour, uh, but unfortunately we can't today. So want to thank everybody for for being here. I want to thank Nikki and Tim and Jeff so much for for being here. And uh, we're, we put in the uncrushed link into the chat. We've also put in um, Jeff's link because he helps organizations with this. Quick shout out to um, Salesforce Sales Cloud, Lead 411, Gong, and uh, Vidyard who supported, supported this piece. Also want to give a quick thanks to AAISP who helped us on the research that's coming out, um, as well as John Barrows has helped support getting that research out to people. We have over 700 people who responded to this survey. So the data is really, really intriguing. Um, and so we just really, really say thank you to everybody. And we even got a donation from Lead IQ uh, over at Uncrush. So we really, really, really appreciate it. So thank you everybody for joining us. And of course, thanks to my partner, Scott. Uh, always a pleasure to have him yell at me about being on mute. So we will see you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye everybody. See you everyone.